This is Heat Check. It is final four week. We are approaching the climax of an incredible season. A season in which we've watched not only a team that was the preseason number one go wire to wire in the AP as a number one team in Gonzaga for the first time ever. I believe we saw a team in Baylor number two the entire way and they're on a collision course in the national title. Potentially here in the next couple of days, we'll see both teams in the final four. Logically, you would think that we would, you know, start the show there. We're not going to, though. There was a huge bombshell piece of news emerging this morning out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Gabe Swartz, I need to know, what are your initial impressions wearing the Carolina blue? Had to put it on. Of Roy Williams announcing that he was going to be retiring effective immediately. Well, I think... It was sometime in February you had mentioned to me that this could be the last year that we saw Roy Williams as the head coach at Carolina. And I said, I don't know, I feel like he could have a, maybe a year left, maybe two years left. Um, and I had not seen this video until today, but when it came up on Twitter, um, I don't remember the name of who tweeted it, but someone had a video of Roy Williams on senior night this year at the Dean Dome, leaning down, kissing the, the logo at center court, and seeing that video makes it plenty clear that he knew he was going to hang it up at the end of this year. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, the 29-0 first-round NCAA tournament streak snaps. Um, it's it sad that that's how it ends. It's sad that that's how it ends. It's sad that it seems as if the reports were that um, Roy wasn't necessarily wanting to stick around for – the name image likeness deal. He didn't want to stick around and deal with 290 programs in Division One basketball having a transfer at each school. Closing in on 1,500 guys yeah, in the portal like right now. Crazy amount. It it seemed like it was the right time for him to leave, and I think that he goes out one of the more underrated coaches ever. I think maybe his personality lends itself to us taking for granted what he has done for college basketball. Maybe the fact that Coach K is maybe a more polarizing figure and Duke is a more polarizing program in terms of, I think that there's certainly more people that hate Duke than there are that hate North Carolina. Um, I think that all of those things contribute to us underrating how great of a coach he was. Three national championships. He was successful at two different Blue Blood programs um, and two different Blue Blood programs that both fan bases are good with him now. And I, I think that it's good to see him. I, I mean, last year wasn't good. They wouldn't have made the tournament. The Cole Anthony experiment wasn't great. But it's good to see him not have, like, a true rock bottom and him go out. It seems like um, willingly rather than, like, forced out, which is, is good to see. Um, the next thing to focus on is just, like, who do they turn to? Yeah, and, you know, we had been joking about for how long? I mean, six months that Roy is going to be done here soon, and it's Chris Beard heading, headed to the Dean Dome, and that's off the table now, and we can get into that here in a moment with him taking the Texas job, moving to a different school in the same state, in the same conference. That one smarts if you're a Red Raider. But I don't see an obvious option here. I think there are plenty of plays to be had. I think, you know, Indiana made an off-the-board kind of move. That could be something that's in the cards here in North Carolina. I don't think that's impossible at all. I don't Maybe Jerry Stackhouse brings Stack home. I don't know. Maybe I want to get rid of Stack at Vanderbilt because, you know, I am a Vanderbilt fan, and I like Stack enough. I'm not going to say that. But I don't know. Maybe Michael Jordan is the next coach in North Carolina basketball. The ceiling is the roof. Yeah, I mean – I like how you just didn't deny that. You're just like, yeah, I'm not even going to acknowledge I, that stupidity. You bring up, up Jerry Stackhouse. I had him written down because people have listed him as one of the guys that's within the Carolina family um, who you can see get it. I think people have said Hubert Davis. People have said uh, Wes Miller. I think if North Carolina, and it seems like they certainly would be, and they have been a program that 
tries to make hires that are 20-year hires, try to make 25-year hires. Yeah, they've had like four coaches in the last 60 years. Because Dean Smith was there for 35-plus yeah. and, and Roy was there for 18. But like the, the Brad Doherty hired him. People forget about that one. Um, and then they fixed it. Like Roy Williams saved Carolina basketball from being – from going down the Indiana path of like wrong coach after wrong coach after wrong coach, and then you turn into a what I was saying last Tennessee week, football. You turn into that. You turn into Indiana basketball. You turn into a, a spot where a passionate fan base gets gets mad, and then the college basketball media turns on you and tries to tell you that it's not actually a good job, and just like what are we doing here? Wes Miller, he's so young. I don't know if people would be completely in on him in terms of like the experience. I think you do have to. Do your due diligence and call Mark Few, call Scott Drew, even ring Tony Bennett and Jay Wright and just be like, hey, this is like, do you want this job? Like, it's yours if you want it. Um, And see what the response is. With that being said, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that any of those guys would leave where they're at, uh, considering that Jay Wright and Tony Bennett are the the last two coaches in reverse order to win national championships, and Mark Few and Scott Drew, one of those two, is probably going to be a national champion by Monday evening. Um, so my official prediction would be that North Carolina goes to West Miller, but I, I don't think that they'll go like some random NBA assistant coach. Like I don't think that they're going to go like a Mike Woodson route. I do think that they're going to go. It'll be a college guy. I can't believe that you you think that Wes Miller is what they would do. I understand the the connection. I, I understand the connection. To have a solid voice in this, and, and Wes is I guess his guy. Yeah, they just so Brendan Marks of the Athletic just tweeted: UNC will not be hiring a search committee to assist with. Okay, well, I mean that's that pretty. That makes me think that they just know who they want already. Well, and I also have to feel like after giving eighteen years to North Carolina. Roy Williams isn't going to leave him high and dry and just retire on him without having established a, a plan for the, I guess, succession, if you will, at UNC. I don't know. I, I honestly, again, I am blank-headed about who I think would look good roaming the sidelines at... It's Roy Williams' court, correct? It's Dean Smith. Well, it's the Dean Dome. I'm pretty sure the court is named after Roy. It's just like how at Thompson Bowling, it's called the Summit. Coach K Court at Cameron Indoor. Don't look at me like that. I don't remember. I'm just telling you, I don't remember. It is. Okay. It is. Okay, there we go. There we go. There you go. So I'm trying to picture. I mean, you're not going to a guy like Leonard Hamilton. He's too old. It just doesn't make sense. You want a a, a 20-year coach, as you said. So that makes me think you're going – and Porter Moser, when you think of young coaches, that's the guy that comes to mind. But I just don't think that that's the kind of job, cachet-wise, that it, it could happen for him there yet. Uh, I don't know. I think there's you call Brad Stevens. That seems to be the move for everybody. See if he wants to come back to college. Don't think that one's happening. Call Nate Oates? You, maybe you call Nate Oates. Call. I mean, I'd call Nate Oates before I'd call Wes Miller. Well, yeah, like I said, call all of the big names. Eric Musselman? Force them all to say no. Yeah, but I don't know if Nate Oates and Eric Musselman are in that pantheon of big names. Hell, I'd take Bruce Pearl. No, you don't. I mean, there's baggage there. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage. You're not taking... But he's a good coach, and they win. I'm not taking Bruce Pearl over West Miller. I'm not. Not at this point. Not at, not with the trouble that it's bringing you, and not with all right, the, fair trouble enough. You've already, the trouble that you've already been through. Um the Athletic tweeted um, who should be on UNC's call list. They just tweeted that. And I think this was Seth Davis and Brian Hamilton. Hubert Davis, Mark Few, Jared Haas from Stanford, who played under Roy Williams at Kansas, Anton Jameson, Wes Miller, Nate Oates, Kenny Smith, Jerry Stackhouse, and Don. I mean, Kenny Smith would be like, a, what in the world are we doing? Don Staley, Staley would be fascinating. I mean, she is a splendid coach and has won at the Olympic level, has won now at the college level at a high, high watermark. I mean, it looks like they very well may win in the back-to-back national championships this year, correct? So, I mean, if there was somebody to bridge that gap, it would be Don Staley. It would be a shocking development 
to have that that glass ceiling broken through on a stage such as North Carolina. But I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. I think it'd be ridiculous to be opposed to it. I, she can coach basketball. The only thing that would be standing in her way would be the, I guess, uncharted territory of having a female coach coaching a men's basketball team at the high major level. Okay, I was very... I, it would be an unprecedented hire if they went with her. I think... I just looked this up. I mean, me at... I just looked this up. Larry Fedora was fired November 25th. Where is this going? Mac Brown was hired... Do you want to guess how many days later Mac Brown was hired? I feel it was very quick. It was two days later. Yeah. And and uh, the the AD at, at UNC Bubba Cunningham just said, uh, "We've had this job in the family for a long time, and that's important, but it's not the only factor." But he also said, "We want to move quickly, and Roy Williams will absolutely have input in who the next head coach is." They like, that seems they have, very declarative. They, have their guy. they do have this their guy. Feels very like. Jim Beheim, Bim Jayheim? Like Bim Jayheim trying to uh, hand the reins over at Syracuse, except for like successfully. Like it's going the way it's supposed to with Roy Williams. And there's no in house hire that you would. And that's always the wild card is we don't necessarily know what assistance could be legitimately in the running for any of these major jobs when they come open. It's going to be quick. I, I think that they'll have a guy, what's it, Thursday? They will definitely have a guy by Monday night. By the end of the college basketball season, you think they will I have? Think so. They're going to steal the show on the day of the national championship Monday, and be the news? Monday, Monday morning, they'll name a guy and they'll have the press conference. All right. That's my prediction. All right. Let's talk Texas. Let's talk Texas. Uh, Texas failing up. The way to go. They, this is an all-time failing upwards like it personifies texas athletics it personifies texas almost as a whole just as a state somewhat wow Um, wow i do not endorse anything that he has just said an absolute all-time bailout to have shaka smart leave willingly you don't have to pay a buyout and then you upgrade within your own conference and hurt another team within your your, your conference. So Texas Tech, Tech uh, is going to end up with their program almost shredded to pieces. Like Kyler Edwards went into the portal today. Marcus Santos Silva went into the portal today. Um, That's a, just an aside, and I, we'll cover this later in the show, but the thing that's like crazy, crazy to me is the amount of guys now that have transferred multiple times. Like, I was looking at Terry Wilson, the quarterback from Kentucky, who started at Oregon, went to JUCO, went to Kentucky, and is now in New Mexico. I don't know how people have, like... Have the wherewithal as a human. Like, just going to school. Like, yeah. But with that... Anyway, back to Texas. It's wild that every time that a coach changes and, like, you see with Indiana, you saw it with North Carolina, you're seeing it with uh, Texas Tech. When somebody leaves, it seems like that's just the sign that guys should enter the transfer portal and just sit there, see what other teams come, and then see what the school that you're at currently, see who they hire and see if you want to go back. And I think that maybe that happens with Texas Tech. I don't know who they're going to hire, but Chris Beard at Texas, I would be willing to bet a sizable amount of money that Chris Beard will be the head coach of Texas For, still when it's like 2035. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. And the, the only question I suppose is that can he really – that's not even a question either. I was going to say can he recruit on that level, but he's gotten those guys. So but they haven't always been – like Namari Burnett left in the middle of the season, and he was a five-star at Texas Tech. I suppose, so, but – Ed, for every one of those, there's success stories. I mean, TJ Shannon was, I think, successful. Right, that's fair to say. He was a very good player. He's going to get drafted in the first round. I mean, I, I just, there was, I know Texas fans who were like, eh, I don't know. He's going to be so good there. 
And it's, I don't know how you could be uncertain about this one. I mean, I, the last time I thought this was about Scott Frost. So that one didn't exactly work out. But it just seems too perfect. But this, that would be like, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be. It'd be like one of the, it, say Penny Hardaway figures it out. He turns. He will not. He turns an NIT championship into winning the American next year and going to the Elite Eight. That would be the equivalent of what Scott Frost did at UCF. And then Scott Frost went to a Power 5 conference and then failed. Chris Beard went from a very small conference to the Big 12 and went to the NCAA tournament one year, went to the Sweet 16, I think, his first ter- his first tournament, went to the national championship and was the runner-up. Almost could have. I mean, you can make a, a solid case. They lost in overtime to Virginia. Could have won that game easily. And then he gets a better job within the same conference, same recruiting footprint, like with better resources. He's going to be great. I'm sure of that. I, I mean, I, I have nothing to oppose that. I have nothing to oppose that viewpoint. This was a home run hire. Texas was able to get paid to get rid of Shaka Smart and then turned around and hired one of the top five coaches in college basketball and a guy that we suspect will be in that tier of coaches for the next 20-plus years. It is that simple. They killed this. They kept him away from North Carolina. They kept him away from Indiana. They did a very good job here. As simple as that. And I don't think we need to belabor that point any further. I just very quickly did want to say I don't think we necessarily covered it, and maybe this is sappy, maybe I'm appealing to the bleeding hearts of college basketball, and this maybe doesn't need to be said at all, but a thank you to Roy Williams. I know that he had an imprint on a program that you care a lot about at Kansas, Gabe. Uh, you know, I think he did so much for college basketball. When, when you talk about the amount of elite players that he touched um, in his coaching trajectory, not just in North Carolina, the... Um, tending to of the eternal flame that is that brand at UNC. Being the steward of that is not an easy thing, but an important job for the sport. Like, it really would hurt college basketball. We saw it last year when North Carolina is bad. When one of the two teams on Tobacco Road isn't that great, it's not good for college basketball. And I don't care how much you hate one or the other school. It just is that simple. So thank you to Roy Williams. And with that, I think we can move on now into talking about the Final Four. Yeah, I just keep seeing quotes from Bubba Cunningham in his press conference that keeps going on right now. And I'm convinced that they're going to move very Do you think they'll announce the uh, new head coach at the end of the presser? Do you think that's how quickly they're moving? We might have a hire within this episode. So within the next 42 minutes, uh, we might have a hire. Yeah. Not really, but, you know. (laughs) Not really, but, you know. Yes. I I think that to go along with your point of thanking Roy Williams and just Mm -hmm. saying, like, what he did for the sport was great. I think that some Kansas fans felt betrayed when he first left, knowing that he his last game was them losing to Syracuse the national championship, um, and and that they ne- he never got a national championship at Kansas, which is and then left. But astounding that's just to unlucky. me. Unlucky. That's yeah. Really, it, it is just unlucky. He had some swings at it. Probably should have won one with either the Paul Pierce team or the one that lost to Carmelo Anthony. Um, but then when when you go to the two thousand eight Final Four and Kansas beats the absolute tar out of North Carolina in the Final Four game, and then Roy Williams turns around, shows up on Monday night, and is sitting in the crowd with the Kansas sticker on. I think from there on, everyone at, at KU and in Lawrence was just like, yeah, we, we, we're good with Roy. Especially yep. once they won that game. And it was like, hey, he went home. Like, Maybe you got the better coach, and he went home to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. It was a win-win for everybody. Great for the sport. Um I just hope North Carolina gets this high rate because it, it would suck to have Indiana failing and North Carolina failing at the same time, and we like don't want to see that. No, absolutely not. Okay, Final Four. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about some coaches that could actually be taking this North Carolina job. Let's talk about Scott Drew. You asked him a question today. I did ask him a question today. Gave you a good answer, so that's fun. He told um, me to say hi to Bryce Drew, so I might have to make a trip up to GCU. Anchor down. Pretty sure he's like probably one of the only other people with any connection to Vanderbilt out here other than myself. Like, there's probably less than 100 of us. Probably. Mm-hmm. So, anchor down. Um, so, I, I want to pose the question to you, Gabe. Of the four coaches 
that are here in this moment. We're going off book. This is not in our rundown. I just thought of this question. I like this. Just, just pepper me with questions. Which of the four coaches that are in the Final Four do you feel like this means the most to? There's a lot of different ways you can attack that. Don't make it as obvious as the question sounds. Ooh. I think from a pure who okay Mark Few winning a national championship obviously changes the the legacy discussion around him and it could by the way it could be opening the floodgates if he wins a national championship this year Uh, there if they get Chet Holmgren I know we don't necessarily cover recruiting on this program as much but if they get Chet Holmgren with the transfers they've put together and some of the guys they've got coming back, they could have a championship-caliber team again next year. We'll see. I Okay, him winning a national championship would change because those of us that watch college basketball consistently watch it from November through March, uh, November through the first weekend of April, rather than those who pick it up in, in mid to late February and then watch it through the tournament, know that Gonzaga is different this year than in other years. They know that this should be a Gonzaga National Championship, probably will be a Gonzaga National Championship. I've come to terms with the fact that we're just along for the Gonzaga beatdown. Um, and if anything other than that happens, I will be joyfully, uh, I, will, I will watch that with great joy. With that being said, Scott Drew winning would be, in my opinion, as impressive, if not more impressive, than almost any national championship uh, that we've seen in the last decade-ish um, plus, given where Baylor was when Scott Drew took over the program. The fact that that program was... They built, weren't. They didn't exist. Like, almost, yeah. Irrelevant to the nth degree. Literally had a player who killed another player. And like, Whoa. It was, it was that bad. In yeah, video. I didn't so know that. The fact that he took over that mess, the fact that the football program was also a mess at roughly the same time, and now that's one of the most successful athletic departments in terms of decent, to mm-hmm. good football, great men's basketball, great women's basketball. Baseball's successful. Baseball's good as well. Their softball program's good. It's one of the more remarkable turnarounds in terms of athletic programs in history. And if he wanted to, because in terms of long-term success at private universities, it doesn't happen much other than Gonzaga and Duke. And, and it takes one guy to do it. Villanova, and it takes like a really special guy to do it, and it takes a really special group. This is by far the most talented team that Scott Drew has had in his time at Baylor, and he's recruiting five stars, he's recruiting high four stars, yeah. and getting guys. But if he wanted to, he could turn a national championship into leaving. I don't think that it does much for Kelvin Sampson um, because, I mean, beating Baylor and then beating Gonzaga would be unbelievable, so he would get all the props in the world. And I'm not considering Mick Cronin in this discussion because I honestly think that this is like gravy for him getting to the Final Four and that we are going to be more impressed when he has mega-talented teams in a couple years and he's like beating down the Pac-12, which is what I fully expect to start happening. You're talking about Mick Cronin. So... I actually kind of think in some ways that it's it's Kelvin Sampson just to, like, double bird up to Indiana for throwing him underneath the yeah. bus and saying, hey, this could have been you guys, but you were playing, and now I'm at Houston, five slam a jamma, baby, national champs. I don't think it will happen, but if you just want to say F you with one of these coaches and ride, I feel like it's Kelvin Sampson. Yeah, I mean— and he's got that mentality, too, so unlike the three other guys. Cronin a little bit. Explain it, because you texted me earlier today, and you said all four guys, if they win a national championship, get to do, like, a double bird to the world. So, like, explain all four of them. I, I think I yeah. know what you're talking about, but, like, with Scott, it it's So I just explained the Samson approach. Yeah. With Cronin, it's to his own fan base that, like, we're ready to turn on him this year. Well, he was their sixth option. He yeah. Was, like, he, they UCLA's athletic department was probably bummed when they were like, damn, we settled for Mick Cronin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a double bird up to UCLA. With Scott Drew, I, I feel like it's it's fairly self-explanatory, but it was the no trophy thing. It's that you couldn't break through. And by the way, they still, even though they won the conference regular season, right? They still didn't win the conference tournament. He's still not won a major tournament, unless you count an NIT. He still hasn't won, uh, he still hasn't won a conference 
conference championship in a year where he played all 18 games. So <laughs> to that end, like that stupid narrative that he's like maybe not an elite coach that I may or may not have bought into before the year, that will be allowed to continue to circulate in the ether if they don't win or at least make it to the national title game. Because I feel like you get a little bit of a pass if you get stumped by this juggernaut Gonzaga team that would go undefeated if they lost in the national title to them. So I think that's obviously his case. Um, and then I think, again, for Mark Few, it, it's as obvious as it can be. It's Adam Morrison, as stupid as that is. Everybody still thinks Gonzaga is Adam Morrison. Or John Stockton. Or it's it's wild to me to think that, like... Kevin Pangos? Yeah, like, we, we used to think... Kelly Olenek? Gonzaga, yeah, the Kevin Pangos, Kelly Olenek teams. Like, that team would get crushed by Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert and Joel Aie. Like, really, the step up in terms of the class of players that they've had, like, they've de- they developed some dudes, but now they're developing guys and getting, like, just crazy five stars and four stars. And, are, like, are the primo transfer destination every year. Yeah, like, they always, I mean, they might get Walker Kessler. The fact that, the fact that Walker Kessler is, like, rumored to go there makes me think that they might not be getting Chet. I don't, the front court would be stacked. I mean, you've got... Greg, who was a guy who is, as I found out, I'm like, who is this guy? This Reclassified year. out of and was a top 100 guy. Pretty, he's a seven footer, correct? He's a top 50 guy. Yeah, he's a seven footer, right? Mm-hmm. Umar Balo, another seven footer that's athletically gifted. Walker Kessler, another, if not seven feet, I'm pretty sure he's seven feet tall. Yeah, he's seven foot. And then Chet Holmgren, who is seven foot two. If they got all four of those guys. And true Timmy could come back. <laughs> I, I just don't think a college basketball team has never had four seven-foot players in a season, right? That's never happened. There's no way. Because I remember, this is the third Florida time State. I've mentioned. Florida State. They did have four? I mean, I'm just making it up. But like, I just remember it was a big deal when Vanderbilt had three. When they had Damian Jones, Henderson, and Luke Cornett. That's yeah. the third time I've mentioned Vanderbilt on this, this program here today. How do you feel about Power that? Love. Anchor down. Um, Stay Scotty Pippen Jr., please. I So, okay. Can I give my theory on what's going to happen this weekend? Can I give my theory on what this Final Four reminds me of and what I'm thinking? Okay, yeah, shoot. I think... And it's not 2018 because that would be too obvious, right? No, it's not. I I think that from a pure basketball... Per, I think I said this on Tuesday night after the Elite Eight games. I am willing to sacrifice two bad basketball games for an elite national champion maybe i'm not maybe i'm not giving houston enough credit and i understand that some people are throwing around the debate that this would be one of the most anticipated national championship games ever it certainly is not it it just based on the fundamental understanding of the amount of eyeballs that baylor gets to the tv and what gonzaga gets the tv versus like people from like I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, people forget, but we within the last decade, we had Kentucky and Kansas play a national championship game against each other. Like, we had North Carolina in multiple national championship games. Those are more anticipated than Gonzaga and Baylor, which are two private schools, but it would be an all-time great basketball game, and it would be an all-time, all-time... It's just not going. All right. Technical difficulties. We are back. Uh, 
trying to work through some things, you know, home studio. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't go. Ah, there we are. Let there be light. We are back. If you're listening to the Blaze Radio version of this, that made no sense, and that's fine as well. Shout out Keith Dotley, who's holding it down mm-hmm. in studio today, making sure that we are streamed on the Blaze Radio airwaves. Okay, back to the topic at hand. So you do you think do you think that this shapes up like it reminds me very much of what I what ended up happening in 2016. We didn't think that that was what what was going to happen going into it. Um, I think mostly because people talked themselves into Syracuse's zone, making it a competitive game. Yeah. And Oklahoma versus Villanova was supposed to be a, a really great matchup, and Oklahoma just like couldn't make threes, and Villanova made everything. But that's what I think that it could be. I don't see why not. Like I, I really, I, there's all the parallels in the world. When you want to talk about Syracuse making the run they did, that's UCLA. Mm-hmm. When you want to talk about the elite teams that were in that tournament, and I, I hope to God that we get a national championship of that caliber because that's one of the best championship games that I've seen in any sport. It, Marcus Page shot. And, then, and, and people forget, I think, how good that game was. Yeah, the Marcus Page shot is a top five like forgotten about shot in college basketball history. Maybe in sports history, top five now inconsequential plays because something else more significant happened immediately after that canceled it out. I'm trying to think. Like the only other ones I can remember, Malik Monk hitting the three in the Elite Eight. I game mean, to an got, extent, Reese, that was an Elite Eight game. Reese, Reese this year, <laughs> Reese three pointer. Um, yeah, I would have to. I would have to think on it a little bit more. But yeah, I think that it, I think it could be a very 2016 run. Um, in terms of what we see on Saturday. And if that sets up a great matchup on Monday night, like I think that we'll trade that off for it. And honestly, Gonzaga is not like, even when they blow people out, it's not boring. Like they play with no, joy they play, yeah. and they, they're just, they're overwhelmingly incredible. So I, I wouldn't be, I would be sad to watch Mick Cronin get it handed to him. Um, just because I, I love watching Mick Cronin coach basketball and get mad and make faces on the sideline and all that, but um, I'm not expecting it to be close. Should we talk some about UCLA? Yeah, let's Just do the it. historical yeah. nature of them getting here. Well, and then also of what Johnny Juzang is doing as well, who, again, I, I think is you know making his case, especially if they get to the national championship game, I really don't think I care what happens. He should be tournament most outstanding player. Barring him, like, scoring six well, in, the, in the semi. I mean, he would be named... I think I think that they do this still. I think that they, they do release an all-tournament team, I think. And if that's the case, like, he's going to be first-team all-tournament. You have the numbers pulled up for him. I'd love to hear what they look like, but... Yeah. He's going to have to, like... He has to get 25 against Gonzaga for them to win. Yeah, no doubt. Any hope. No doubt. Uh, so here his game law goes as follows. 28 against Michigan at one point scored 12 of those in a row. Was cooking in the first half. Kind of tailed in the second half. Whatever. 13 against Alabama. Didn't shoot the ball well in that game. Still was able to make enough of an impact and got help from his teammates. They won. Against Abilene Christian, only 17. But then the 27 points against BYU in the first round. 23 against Michigan State in the overtime win. The fact that this team has also now won two games in OT in the tournament, that doesn't exactly happen very often. I don't know, man. Feels kind of like he's a lock to win that award if he puts up a big number against Gonzaga and they win. Even if they get trounced by Baylor in the national championship game or Houston or what have you. If Baylor wins the national championship. Nobody on Baylor has been consistently good enough. Davion Mitchell has been... You think it's Davion? Absolutely. He's been overwhelmingly had his fingerprint on... He has been their best player in the the tournament. Yeah. That's a fact. And not only has he been... It's not like one of those... Some guy dominates a college basketball game, and, and we love college basketball because the game can be won in so many different ways and so many different styles. This is... All of the things that Davion Mitchell is doing, he's he's wowing us as college basketball fans because he's developing in a way that we didn't necessarily even expect early in the season. He's also doing this on the biggest stage in front of the casual slash NBA viewers and like 
really, really hyping people up for what he's going to be at the next level, which is very impressive and really good for him because his draft stock is like we are watching a guy become a multimillionaire rather than like a mid-second round guy who's fighting in the summer league to get there. And that's great to see. It is. Is it bad that I just tried to search Jonathan Shamwashashua's name on Google? And you didn't even come close. I got so, so badly. I was so badly wrong. I mangled it so badly that Google had zero search results. Because the words <laughs> that, that I made don't me. exist. Joe Pleasant has entered the transfer portal. Oh. But uh, Shamo Shashua struggled at the end of the year and has been terrific in this tournament and I think is uh, actually weirdly a big part of why that they look like Baylor again. Yeah, for sure. And Scott Drew was saying today that Mark Vital's performance and just what he provides. Yeah, that's my guy. We know this. Like the guys. I could write write a sonnet for Mark Vital. (laughs) I'm sure you could. Um, Are you worried at all? Okay. I just don't see any way in which Houston wins this game. I don't think Baylor I, shooting less than 27%. And that's what scares field. me is that that that's completely what scares me is ha- being so close minded to the idea of Houston winning a game when the computers and the wise guys love them so much. It makes it it makes me feel like I'm wrong in some way. But at the same time, it's like Houston has played one team all year long and it was in either the first week of the first week of the season or early December when they played Texas Tech. That is the only team that they've played this year who spent any time in the AP poll. Not it doesn't even matter like not even not even were they ranked when they played them. It's ranked at any point in the year. It was Texas Tech and then you're going to tell me that they're supposed to step up and be ready for Baylor. How many tournament teams did they beat? Because the American only sent them. Texas Tech, they beat Wichita State one of two times. And I guess Wichita was in the playing game, but I don't really count that as like the actual tournament field. They're in. They. I know that's a counts. debate. Then, then it's— They uh, only got in because they beat Houston. Then it's Cleveland State in the tournament, Rutgers in the tournament, uh, Syracuse in the tournament, and Oregon State in the tournament. And they're all in double-digit seeds. And yet, they're only five-point underdogs on Saturday. It doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why I'm like, they know something that we don't. They are from the future, the odds makers. If, okay, assuming that we get the Baylor and the Baylor and Gonzaga matchup, and we can talk about this and we can, I'm sure we'll make predictions pretty soon um, as we wind the showdown. Assuming that we get Gonzaga Baylor, it's worth noting, I think this is an interesting stat, the only two times that. Scott Drew has ever made it to the Elite Eight in previous years, 2010 and 2012. He made it to the Elite Eight this year. He got past the Elite Eight, got to his first Final Four, first Final Four for the school since 1950, first first Final Four for a Big 12 team since Kansas made it. Or no, sorry, Texas Tech was in in the last time. Um, With that being said, the other two times that Scott Drew made it to an Elite Eight, he lost to the eventual national champion. Duke in 2010, Kentucky in 2012. I think that they'll beat Houston and then lose to the lose the eventual national champion, which would be Gonzaga in the national championship game. That's the way I see it going right now. And I think that it's interesting because the three best teams he's ever had, four if you count last year, he's run into an overwhelming title favorite or a pandemic shut the season down. So... Again, Has he gotten unlucky? Like, to some extent. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and I will pull the numbers about Baylor is a really good shot-making basketball team when they are at their best. They make difficult shots. Their good, their good looks doesn't make them easy, right? Mm-hmm. Houston loses games when teams make threes against them. They have one of the best three-point defenses in the country. I think... I think the only avenue in which Houston can use their athleticism to get out and run, turn those long long takes into long misses, into long runouts, is to close out at an all-time, all-time, all-time level, force misses from three, push the ball in transition, and get points that way. 
I think if, if Baylor shoots more than 25 threes and only makes like six or seven of them, I think Houston has a chance. One of the frightening stats, I just looked it up, defensive rebounding rate. Baylor is 296th in the game. You just wanted this because you knew that they are good on the offensive glass, Houston? Mm-hmm. That's I mean, Vital's got a big job in this one. So does and, everyday John and Flo Thamba. And the guards, the guards have to contribute on the defensive glass or else. Like, Houston doesn't beat Oregon State without that overwhelming offensive rebound performance. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't happen. And they're not a big team. They just are athletic and everybody and they go after it. Yeah, and everybody goes for the ball hard. They just have they have dogs at every position. Um which gives them a chance. As much as we may balk at it, as much as we may think it's improbable, it gives them a chance. Yeah, because they're a fine it's a final four game. Of course. Look at look at who lost or who beat Baylor this year. You had Kansas, who by no means was offensively gifted and beat them with defense. You have Oklahoma State, who by the metrics and by the numbers had, I mean, obviously they had Cade Cunningham. Offensively, they were not anything special in terms of offensive efficiency and the ease with which they ran their offense. Oklahoma State was 64th in the country in offensive efficiency. They were 19th in the country in defensive efficiency. So what I'm saying is with Kansas and Oklahoma State, they won those games because they locked up and they challenged the Baylor guards. The recipe for success for Houston is what they do well. It is defend and it is defend with your guards. So are we talking ourselves into this? I, what I'm what we're doing here is we are providing the rationale for what happens if Houston wins so that we can look smart in the event that it happens. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. We've ventured off into the upside down and just making sure that we're still tethered to I'm reality. Still, I mean, not to give away Final Four pick, picks, and I'm sure we're going to pick the same outcome for Saturday. Yeah. So I want to hear scores as well. Because um, in the Sweet 16, I let you off the hook, and I let you pick straight up and me pick against the spread. I actually mm-hmm. did decent. I think I went 4-4 four and four or 5-3. and three. Um, That's making money. So I want to hear I want to hear score predictions. But just going to point out, though, the recipe to beat Baylor is what Houston does well. In theory, I mean, they got to score more than they normally do. Need a, you need Marcus Sasser to put up twenty like he did against Oregon State and make a bunch of threes, or you need an Quinn Grimes, Quinn Grimes four game. or five threes. Uh-huh. Yep, minimum, minimum four. <laughs> I'm that's like, a that, high minimum, but I guess that's what it takes. <laughs> like, that's what it's got to be. I because I don't know how you're scoring like you're not you don't have a guy that you just throw it into the post to get easy buckets for like. It's going to have to be bombs away and hope hope for the best. Yeah, and I think Baylor controls their own destiny on the defensive end of the floor, and that's why I think they win. Final score, I think it's closer than we think. Oh, you're going prediction already. Are, I mean, are we? what else is there left to say? And then we can really get into the matchups on UCLA and Gonzaga. Okay, go for it. I think this game stays a little bit tighter than we may have been led to believe we, I don't mean the audience we, I mean us we, the two of us. Coming into this tournament when we looked at the potential thought of this kind of matchup playing out in the Final Four. I think that this game will be played within a 6-8 to eight point margin. I think, you know, Houston will be battling the entire time. I don't know if they'll ever be in command or have a lead. But they'll be in it because they're a very tough team. I think final score... 72 to 64 Baylor. Okay. That's He's doing the geometry, I'm doing that, the, math. the arithmetic, the calculus, so you, all of it. You would have you would have Baylor covering minus five, and you would have two points a point and a half over the total. The total is 134 and a half. I think that Houston is gonna make this a dog fight. It's their only hope. I don't know how successful they will be in it. I think that Baylor wins this game. I said that it I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to stick to my prediction. I think that I think that Baylor overwhelms Houston. And I said going into Sweet 16, 
Houston had a lot to prove against the haters. I was one of the haters. I picked them to go to the Final Four preseason, and then during the season I said I'm not very impressed by this team. How many teams in the tournament do you think could have gotten to the Final Four given the run of opponents Houston had? Off the top, you want me to go off the top of my head? Yeah. Let me roll down Ken Palm. Gonzaga definitely rolls through that, that run. Baylor rolls through that run. Illinois rolls through that run. Um... You could say Loyola, but then you'd be wrong because they lost Oregon Oregon State. State, So I'm not going to say that. Uh, Alabama goes through that run. Yeah. Again, this is in theory. We know the tournament's not this simplistic. I would think Texas would have handled that, but no. You know, Abilene. You just think they would have tripped up? Okay, cool. Texas would have gotten. UConn. Syracuse, the zone. Um, Uh, I'm going to say ballpark estimation. Eight teams could have done that. Didn't UConn beat? No, that didn't happen this year. That okay. did not happen. UConn's best win was USC. USC get to the Final Four with that run? Yeah. Oregon? No. Iowa? Mm. Ohio State? Maybe. Ohio State, maybe. Probably, I would lean yeses. I I was, yeah, I would lean yes. I was, I came in, my opinion has not shifted. Oral Houston, Houston was still the worst two seed. Or Roberts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just of course. Uh, of course. Um, nobody's bigger Max A. Smith fan than me. I'm gonna go with Baylor 74, Houston 64. So virtually the same score. Just a I little think bit Baylor wins variance. by double digits. Is the is So you the, said ten. The lowest of the double digits. Yeah, because I have to be less wrong if Houston has it as a close game. Okay, I cover my bases. That's the one thing I always do. I'm big hedger. Okay, UCLA Gonzaga. Let's break down the matchups here. Okay, so we learned either this morning or yesterday. I don't remember when I saw the tweet. Jules Bernard apparently is playing through a toe, a turf toe injury. That's what okay, the said. broken big toe. Yeah, that's painful. UCLA is the only. I have to get these factoids off. Only 2011 VCU and 2021 UCLA are teams that have gone from first four to the final four. Mm -hmm. They can become the first 11 seed to ever reach the national championship game if they beat literally Goliath, Gonzaga, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. The best college basketball team ever. That's not true. But are you going to admit it? It, I'm not like you're just not even if they win every game in this tournament by double digits. No, because I think that I think that. 2015 Kentucky would have rolled through this this path just like Gonzaga did. I think 2015 Kentucky would have stomped on the WCC just like Gonzaga did. And I will rebut with that Kentucky team didn't have to go through Baylor. That Kentucky team had to go through Wisconsin. Which was not as good as this Baylor team. That's not, I mean, that's just not true. What are you talking about? That's just not true. Baylor on, was going to go undefeated if they hadn't had a COVID pause. Ken Palm... And adjusted efficiency metrics, Wisconsin and Duke. Which no, is two, which this is, two, is one of your worst takes. No, 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 no. Ever. This is I not, don't care what Kenneth says. No, the efficiency metrics say that Wisconsin is was the number one offense. Baylor's the number three. Wisconsin was the number 35 defense. Baylor's 28. Like, they were essentially Again, the same there team. there's a discernible reason why they dropped, okay? They had a COVID pause. They came out of said COVID pause, and I know their defensive efficiency had tumbled a little bit before that. And it never got back up. looked Horrible for three weeks, and then they snapped out of it, and they're Baylor again. This variation of Baylor, as flimsy as that logic may seem, has not lost a game this year. Went undefeated in one of the toughest conferences in America, certainly a conference that was tougher than the Big Ten that year. I'm not gonna listen to no. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna listen to the like the like. Oklahoma you can make State the argument game. for Indiana. You can make the argument for the Kentucky team that actually won the national championship. I'll hear those, but I am not taking oh, that. I'm saying. I'm saying. 2015 Kentucky is just one example of multiple teams I think stack up with with this Gonzaga team. But was to say that Wisconsin in in that year doesn't match up with. This Baylor team, or that Duke, which won the national championship that year, doesn't match up with the Baylor team when their uh, their efficiency numbers and their personnel are every bit as good NBA wise and and whatever than the Baylor guys is ludicrous. With that being said, Gonzaga is going to like drub UCLA, 
And the only hope for UCLA to win this game is, or keep it competitive is like Juzang goes nuts, and then you get a crazy three-point shooting performance out of Hawkes. Cody Riley is going to be important. His he, job he against Timmy. He can't Timmy. play 18 minutes. He can't yeah, he play cannot minutes. get in foul trouble like he did against Hunter Dickinson. But uh, with that out there, I, I don't think you will. I, physically, that was an impossible task for him. Drew Timmy is not. But he's got to play a very big defensive role against a guy that, you know, we both thought was going to get negated to some extent in their last game against the best defensive player in the country in Evan Mobley. And he was as good as he's been the entire tournament. Partially because he wasn't directly going at Mobley because it's his own, but yeah. he multiple times posted Mobley up and hit him with the post fade or the turnaround with the right hand and scored. Multiple yeah, times. The hook was the hook was got in transition, was insane. running. I I mean, again, I just think that when you look at the multiplicity of ways that Gonzaga can score the basketball, it almost seems impossible. And the difference between this Gonzaga team and those great Kentucky teams, I mean, I can't speak. I don't know enough about the Indiana team that went undefeated to make an adequate argument one way or the other, but I would say that these athletes would probably dominate those. I mean, that's just a, a, that's a, just a, a decades debate. Yeah, exactly. Which... I think that the fact that they legitimately just have too many guys to be bad in a game. They've got too many good players to just have a bad team performance. That's just overwhelming for UCLA. As obvious as that sounds, I think it's just overwhelming for everybody that's not Baylor. And it could be overwhelming for Baylor, too. But Baylor does have the dudes to go toe-for-toe. Toe-to-toe. Yeah, I just think that there were stretches. There were stretches of the Arkansas game where— the Baylor defense just like doesn't provide enough resistance, and Arkansas was really close. Arkansas was, but they, one like one of those three pointers that they took when it was a four point game away from getting it down to a one point game, and then it's a completely different thing. But I will say that Baylor ability wise, I know defensively the performance hasn't been there, but if they want to, they are capable of locking in defensively for 40 minutes and playing at a level of, personnel-wise, of the best defensive team in the country. They are capable of that. With Shamo Shashua as a guy who can wipe away shots, I know he's only 6'8", but he's a legit rim protector. Mark Vidal, his ability on the defensive end. Davion Mitchell, who was the defensive player of the year in the conference, and you can say that it should have been Marcus Garrett. I may not push back that hard, but the fact of the matter is to be in that discussion and eventually win that award, you have to be an elite defender, which Davion Mitchell is. Guys who compete on the perimeter, they had the defensive acuity to stop Gonzaga enough to beat them, and nobody else does. And we're going to sound really stupid when UCLA somehow pulls this off. But we somehow broaden this out into a discussion about what we both think is going to happen, and that's a Gonzaga-Baylor National Championship, and we've got plenty of time to explain that one. Yeah, and we'll talk about it probably after these two blowouts on Saturday night. So let's let's give score predictions. I'm going to say Gonzaga 88, UCLA 68. I think Gonzaga wins by 20. I think that UCLA runs out of steam. I think they'll fight harder than that. I will go 78 to 63. If somebody makes a prediction that UCLA is going to win or that it's going to be it would close, be a movie. It would well and It'd be cinematic in nature if they pulled this upset. If they're giving the take and they don't work for Turner Sports uh or CBS or the NCAA itself, they're probably just looking for a and out to be the one person who predicted if it, predicted it, predicted it if it happens. That's my only guess. Do you have any thoughts on uh, tomorrow night's women's final four? You got any leans? Who you rooting for? South Carolina, Stanford, UConn, Arizona. I just don't want Paige buckets. Paige buckets to just be the thing for three four years. I don't. It's know. gonna be though. I've got a weird thing against it. I've got a weird prejudice. Like, I, I had this, like, I was like, you know what? Sabrina Ionescu, not all that great. You know, like, I oddly rooted what? against her last year. I, it's a weird stigma. Maybe I should go to a therapist and have it explained to me as to why. But, yeah, 
the last two years, these players and Beckers is incredible. I'm definitely cheering for South Carolina though. I it picked, just means more. I picked Stanford pre-tournament. I think it's like a deep suit, like seated thing about Tennessee women's basketball and like. Nobody to me can be as good as like Glory Johnson and you know obviously the Candace Parkers of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably therapy session. I think I'm rooting for. I want Stanford UConn just because I think that that's the best game possible. Um, I would say watching the the women's elite eight, watching that tournament, opened my mind to the flow of games and the flow of four quarters. Maybe. Just either either go to t- go to media timeouts at the under fifteen, the under ten, and the under five in the men's game to make it flow better, or go to quarters. Maybe I understand that the fouls and stuff would be different, um, and timeouts and such would change. But it is what it is. We'll see what happens. Uh, scholarships and sanctions. We got three minutes. I, I just want to say one thing really quickly. The classic Peyton. I just want to say one thing really quickly yeah. before we move on. Camera as much acclaim as Beckers has gotten. For good reason. Cameron Brink, also a bucket, a freshman at Stanford, is going to be an issue for teams in the Pac-12 over the next Baylor, three to four years. Baylor would have beat UConn if D.D. Richards didn't get hurt. Just I mean, they, they, string, and they were up. Like, also, ten. the foul at the at end the of the game the was end, not called, yeah. which I guess, you know, I'm cool with them not calling because it's the no. very end of the game. Of course, you're cool with just absolute mugging but someone. Actually, no, I take that back. By definition, that was clearly a foul, and it prevented an obvious scoring opportunity. It should have been a, it should have been free throws. We've been through it. All right, scholarships and sanctions. You got anything? Uh, yeah, sanction to the NCAA for their argument to the Supreme Court being that college athletes should not be paid because they won't focus on academics. What? Huh? What? I mean, there's good arguments against it, and that's just not one of them. It's just not one of them. It's just not. I saw a really funny picture on Twitter. So side by side, it's like the NCAA thought their argument was, and it was the men's uh, lifting complex, the the weight room at the men's tournament, what it actually was, and it was that uh, atrocious weight room, I say with air quotes, um, thing that they gave the women in Texas. Yeah. I'm going to quickly scholarship – Everyone who is involved in getting the tournament on and, and just getting through this entire season, glad that we made it to the Final Four, glad that it looks like we're going to have a great uh, last weekend of the season. And then sanction because, you know, can't go an episode without complaining about something. And the fact that we're back playing basketball and things feel a little more normal makes me gives me the okay to, to complain about things. I'm just going to say the, the Final Four court sucks. Oh, yeah. It's Bad all- color and doesn't make any sense it, i i read something about like the state of indiana and the importance of it in the game of basketball and stuff and that was behind the concept and i'm like if basketball is so just do the such, floor from hoosiers then or or at least the championship instead of doing this like aqua blue weirdness like give me some orange make me feel like it's actually something basketball even just like toss the 2010 court back on there the, the one from the last ncaa basketball video game that would have been that would have been better I would have been so okay, so okay, if they like literally just had like the '90s. We're gonna put a basketball in the key thing, like just vintage <laughs> as all get out. Would have been so okay with that. Just make it a YMCA parquet floor, Indiana. Not great. The cradle of basketball. And then it'll come on on Saturday, and I'll be like, "This is this is the most incredible." Like I, I'm so excited. And then we're gonna get two blowouts. So yep. See you Saturday night. Yep. That's the sound of the buzzer. This has been Heat Check. We will get back at you where we can. College basketball. It continues.
heat check Everybody gotta know that we next Doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Monday You know that we flex You can never make it more obvious You checking for the heat, that's cold Headed to the top of the top of this You can never reach these hoes in the booth and we spin the truth We inspire the youth and we get to the loop You do what it does and we do what it do We turn to the max and they got you on mute Ooh, flow so high so you know I had to run it back Blazers are bald and we running like a running back Gabe Rock so you know we having fun with that Turn you in the so you know ain't no coming back Now we done with that